knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner. Like, He's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. I am Colleen Sharp and my co-host is Angela Whitehorn and Ashley Glassick. She's not here with us right now, but she'll be on the episode. So we decided since Christmas and New York uh, come so close to and release our episodes, we do a couple of best of. And so we'll just talk for a few minutes and then we're going to this week play our Christmas episode. But I have a question for you, Angela. Oh boy. And I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> I didn't ask you this ahead of time. So I assume that you probably grew up like I did with Christmas, where it was a really big church holiday. Oh, definitely. Yes. Jesus is the reason for the season. Right. And um, definitely a lot of celebration of uh, Christmas um, at my church growing up. Happy birthday, Jesus party and all of those things. Yeah. Wow. I don't think I've ever done one of those. We The happy birthday, Jesus party. I didn't know they did those. <laughs> well. <laughs> oh, actually, you know what? I knew some people growing up that did, though. They for Christmas would have a birthday cake and like an empty seat at the table. Wow. Yeah. So I guess I I did know that 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 happened. So since you've become reformed, has any of that changed for you? Um, Yeah. uh, Our church actually is far less collapsing Christmas into um, church together. However, you know, my church is PCA. So um, there are a lot of PCAs that do Advent. And uh, my church is one of those. So um, it's kind of interesting. I think my own personal conviction, I would probably uh, not prefer not to have that in the church service. Uh, It's interesting because when we first started going to the church where we're members, I did notice that there was not, now see, churches that I have been in before becoming Reformed would have an entire service dedicated to Mother's Day, Father's Day, Veterans Day, all kinds of different um, days. And right. there there has been none of that in my Reformed church. And it's interesting, the first um, holiday that we came across when, when uh, we were first members of our Reformed church here was Mother's Day. And I remember getting ready for church and going and thinking, oh, is it going to be a Mother's Day service? And it wasn't. And honestly, it was so refreshing um, just to go and hear the gospel and have it be about the Lord and nothing else. And um, so anyway, uh, it in that sense, it actually really has been a big change. But um, I, the, the Christmas they do um, the Advent wreath at my church. And so uh, that is the one thing that that is, um, is happening here. What about yours? Some similar things probably in how we grew up with how our churches did things. And in, in every church that I have reformed church that I've been a member of, at least in my, I was trying to think as you were talking. So that would be the OPC, uh, RPCNA, PCA, 
um, as far as I can remember, and I could be wrong, somebody maybe went to church with me 20 years ago. I was going to, you know, shout out and say, Colleen, don't you remember? So <laughs> my memory, not always great. So, but usually there is no Advent celebration in the worship service, but there mm-hmm. is something outside of that. So as long as it doesn't come on the Sabbath day, there is a, a Christmas Eve service for instance. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we've had that in both the PC and the OPC. And I know some people have been surprised by this. And I saw some discussions just this last week about the RPCNA. And I know that people view like RPCNA, Covenanters, they don't celebrate Christmas at all. And that wasn't my experience. My first Reformed Church was RPCNA. It was my very first experience there. And for those who don't know, they they sing only the Psalms and and no musical instruments. And I know that there are a lot of covenanters that don't celebrate Christmas, but in the church that I was in, everybody did, including the pastor. And we did have a Christmas carol sing um, time of singing and, Mm -hmm. you know, outside of worship, not part of worship. Right. And in fact, I got, I got married while I was at that church and the, they had had a, a bridal shower for me like ahead of time. But when it came time for Christmas, the lady said, Colleen, we have this great idea. You need Christmas stuff. We want to have a Christmas shower for you. And I still have some of those things that they gave me. So it was kind of like a women's Christmas party slash um, something for Colleen, you know, so she mm-hmm. can have some Christmas stuff, which I thought was kind of a neat idea because when you get married, you know, I know for in my family, when my kids get married, my mom, I, I think this is so neat. She has gotten each of my children an ornament every single year um, since they were born. So, you know, when they get married, we'll probably take those and hand them to them so they can put those on on their tree. Uh, but, you know, you get married, you don't have a lot of that stuff. So it's kind of neat that they did that for me. And, you know, we, we enj- I enjoy uh, celebrating Christmas. And I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, and I know that some people on the reform side will frown upon this, but I'll mention it anyways. Since my dad converted from Judaism, I grew up celebrating both Christmas and Hanukkah. And Mm -hmm. so growing up, um, if you don't know, Hanukkah is eight nights and they give a present on each night, which might sound like a lot of presents, but the way my parents did it is on most of the nights, it was um, a couple pieces of candy or a special coin or something like that. And then one night was special where my dad always gave each of us a special gift from him to us. So a piece of jewelry or something like that. And then Christmas was never, my parents were not ones to give tons and tons of gifts. Uh, we usually got three gifts and and, you know, growing up, I kind of always felt like my friends got more than I did. But now that I'm older, I, I appreciate that, that, mm. that they didn't do that. My husband's family, my first Christmas with them was so many gifts, I was overwhelmed. And I love that my mother-in-law just loved giving. So I'm not um, saying that it was necessarily bad, but just very different than what I grew up with. But we've kind of done a little bit more like... I grew up with my kids. So yeah, our, (laughs) my family growing up definitely had lots of gifts at Christmas. Um, Christmas is the favorite holiday in my family. Um, And so um, my husband and I, we, we keep Christmas gifts much, much smaller in our family with our kids. And that, that has been good um, so far. Um, Just hoping to teach our kids to, be content. And <laughs> it, it's, it's a little tough right now. Um, the ages that they are five and three, there's a lot of asking for presents. Um, my daughter, especially pretty much, I mean, we went shopping at target this morning and everything that she sees, Oh, mommy, I wish I had a, whatever it is that she just saw. <laughs> Um, I wish I had that for Christmas. So (laughs) if they had it their way, we sure would have lots and lots of gifts, but, um, it's, it's been really fun for us so far, the years that we've had to keep it a little smaller and it just keeps us a little focused and gives us a little bit more time, um, on the day to enjoy the things that we do have. 
You know, I got to just share one funny thing before we get to the episode is my my husband is a last minute Christmas shopper. <laughs> and now it, I'm not criticizing him because he is the best gift giver. He may wait till the last minute, but he gets me the best gifts. I'm done by Thanksgiving, but I don't feel like what I buy matches up to the gifts. So uh, he, it was like Tuesday, Monday night, I think. And he said, I need some ideas for you. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and, and so, you might, I know what you got him for Christmas, Colleen. So you might have bested him this year. Yes. And I actually got him, a, I got him even more than the thing that I told you. I, this year, <laughs> I feel like I did really well this year. So I'm excited because I, for the first time, I feel like really confident, like I did good this year. But he was saying, I think most men are like me. They wait till the last minute. So uh, I said, I don't know. And I went in a Facebook group that I'm in. It's uh, it's not a super small group, but it's a smaller compared to uh, some groups. And so I asked the men, "Do you wait till the last minute? Um, do you are you done before December? Do you get it done at the beginning of December? And or do you do it the week before Christmas?" And actually, a large percentage. Uh, we're not in the last minute category. So that was kind of cool. But a lady, I think it was a gal came in and said she worked at Bath and Body Works and she was saying Christmas Eve, they, like the husbands come in, I need to buy my wife something now, you know. (laughs) What do you have left? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because Bath and Body Works always has those coupons this time of year. If you buy one, you get 17 free. Right. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Anyways, well, last year, Ashley and I took on, you know, whether we should celebrate Christmas. And I'm aware that there are so many different views within reform circles. And, you know, Ashley and I, I think, both have a view that's consistent with a a lot of people, but definitely not not all people. And uh, I know we have a lot of new listeners, so I hope that you will enjoy this episode. So Ashley, this, you've only been reformed for a few years. And so, and ask you before we kind of get into this, if your views on Christmas have changed since you've become reformed. Uh, They have, they've changed in the last year, actually. Um, I was actually really baffled when like a year ago, I saw people talking about Christmas in reformed groups and reformed podcasts saying things like, we choose not to celebrate Christmas, things like that. And I was like, Christians not celebrating Christmas? Like, I just, I grew up in the evangelical church. So that to me was just so bizarre. But after um, after studying it for myself, talking about it with my pastor, yeah, my, my mind actually has changed on Christmas. Um, not, not as far as other people's minds have changed, but it, it shifted. Right. And, I, you know, I think maybe even before we, we start, it might be good to kind of outline the different views that you might see among Reformed people and Reformed sure. groups. Yeah. Um, so what, what views, when you started seeing people talk about it, what views did you see? Um, I saw the, I don't want to say extreme, like, I mean, extreme in a bad way. I just mean it's the most, con- probably the most conservative view is we do not celebrate Christmas because it is a violation of the regular principle of worship to celebrate Christmas. And I, I honestly think, so I'll get back to what the other views are, but I think that was such a big deal last year too, because last year Christmas was on Sunday. So, and a lot of crazy things that happened last year with that. Um, so yeah, that was the one I heard. Um, I heard, you know, Christians should not celebrate Christmas and a lot of people were saying, you know, this is the first year we're choosing not to celebrate and things like that um, because it violates the regular principle. It was actually very challenging for me to really think about that. Um, another view might be that it's okay to celebrate Christmas as like a cultural holiday um, because it's a fun, you can give gifts, you can put up trees, you can decorate it doesn't necessarily need to be a Christian holiday. Like that doesn't need to be brought, brought into it. Uh, And if you're just celebrating it as a cultural holiday, then 
your church then would not be doing any kind of special Christmas service, Christmas Eve service, anything like that. And then, of course, the other view is that, and maybe, Colleen, you can add a different one that I'm missing, but the other view is that um, Christmas is totally okay to celebrate and churches should have a Christmas service, uh, you know, Christmas Eve service, anything like that. Those are good things. So, So, and... And, and when I did a, a poll on Twitter, I kind of called it, it's okay to celebrate. It's okay to celebrate in the church and in the home. It's okay to celebrate only in the home, but not in the church. Um, or it's not okay to celebrate at all. So, I, And you pretty much identified. I think the one thing, and we'll get into this, is even for those of us, I will say that my view is that it should not be a church holiday. But I think that there are ex- acceptable um, you, that does not mean that we keep Christ and the incarnation completely out of it, but it's not something mm-hmm. that we do not have a special worship service on Sunday to celebrate Christian Christmas because of our view on the regulative um, principle of worship. So I think maybe we'll just dive, dive right into first looking at Christmas as a religious holiday. Sure. I thought I'd read something from the Westminster Confession of Faith. The acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the imaginations and devices of men. And so when when we're talking about this, we're talking about the regulative principle of worship here. What And Ashley and I have said, we're, we need to do a whole episode just on that because it comes up so often. But what we're talking about very specifically is Lord's Day worship services. We're talking about the corporate worship of God on the Lord's Day. And yeah. and so the reason why we, we do not, I mean, I was surprised when I did my poll, the greatest number of people, and I did say Reformed Christians, but I can't know for sure if that's who answered. The greatest number of people actually said it should be, I think it was the greatest number that said we should celebrate it in church and home. Mm-hmm. Um, but so what does the regulative principle of worship have to do with whether or not we celebrate Christmas, whether we, you know, whether we do all all of the things, if you go into a Lutheran church, a uh, Catholic church and some other churches that follow the church calendar, they, they do this whole thing leading up to Christmas, this whole Advent season, because they actually have different Sundays that are connected to the church calendar. But we do not have that in our, in mm-hmm. our churches. So, well, where does the regular w- principle of worship fit into this? Well, so in what you just read uh, from the Westminster Confession, it says at the tail end, it says that he may not be worshipped according to the mag- imaginations and devices of men. And I think we have to remember that Christmas isn't something that's in scripture. It's something that, well, we can argue about the origins, I guess, later on. <laughs> um, but I think most of it, most of us see it as coming out of the Catholic tradition and it was something um, created by the Catholic Church, early church. Um, I, I know some of that is is debatable. Uh, but it's something that was made up, you know, in order to worship God specifically, uh, worship Christ's birth. And that is coming from the imaginations of men. Because there's not, there's not a place in scripture that says to do that. Right, exactly. And we we worship God in our corporate worship the way that he has the way that he has told us to worship him. I think where where a difference is going to come in, uh we have Ashley and I you and I have a friend who does not believe in in family, you know, does not believe that it should be celebrated privately either because she believes that the regulative principle of worship um should that, that that still applies to family celebrations also. Right. And and that's and I asked that even in the group this week because I wanted to hear from people, and I have heard that from people, that the RPW extends to family and personal worship. Um, and most were saying they're convinced that it extends to the Lord's Day corporate worship only. 
so that's, you know, I think that's a discussion you have to have to really understand, well, how, where do I exactly fall on this regular principle? Right. And we won't get into that real deeply now, because I think we're going to be planning a whole episode on regulative principle of worship. But there's nothing in scripture, even though Christmas is connected to a celebration of the incarnation and and Christ's birth, there is nothing in scripture which says we ought to celebrate that as part of our worship. Mm-hmm. So since like, it, yeah, and I, I think this all goes back to like, do you hold to the regular principle? Because I can just see someone listening right now, like, kind of frustrated. Uh, if you do not hold to the regular principle, I feel like you're not going to really find any of our, our arguments convincing for why we think, why the confessions say what they do. Uh, because it all comes down to we worship God the way he's commanded and we don't add anything else. Right. You, I have a lot of great resources that I'm going to be including in the notes this week, but I loved this. I forgot to put which one of the resources it's from, but I will figure that out and mark it in the, in the episode notes. But I loved this. It was the observance observances of popular American Christianity are not binding, not a binding model for our worship doctrine or practice. And I think this, that is such a great point because I think so much of what we see in American Christianity is how it's not what the worship service has become a picture of is, you know, popular American stuff. You know, you have you have churches that are doing various things for the sake of entertainment and and look at these churches even that will take something that's very popular in culture and do a sermon series based on it even. Yeah. And and so I, if we are going to argue for for the one who wants to argue for the celebration of Christmas in church, um, I think we need to have a very biblical reason to do so. Yeah, and I do want to point out, someone has said this to me before, we have 52 Lord's Days a year. And on those Lord's Days, Christ is being, Christ's birth and resurrection are being celebrated. Maybe not, you know, maybe not every sermon is about uh, the incarnation or anything like that, but that's what the Lord's day is for is celebrating. And so I think maybe that applies more to Easter uh, because people say, Oh, when, when are we going to celebrate Christ's resurrection? Well, we're doing that every Sunday, right? Every Lord's day. So if, if your church is properly worshiping, you're not losing anything by not, not doing a Christmas service because Christ is celebrated every Sunday for 52, um, 52 Sundays of the year. Right. And I I read one thing where this pastor who was writing about it was talking about how the things in which the the things in the worship service where there is liberty, it doesn't say exact like, for instance, it does not say exactly what passage your pastor must preach on. And so he was saying, you know, if if your pastor happens to preach on Luke two on a Sunday near Christmas, there there's not anything that's wrong with that. Mm -hmm. So um there there are things even within the regulative principle of worship it doesn't say when you have to take you know communion in the service or or what time the service should start or right what building it should be in right exactly i believe we call those circumstances right that's like the theological term for that yeah we the the bible doesn't dictate what the circumstances of worship are it just dictates the um the modes. I'm trying to remember the word my pastor uses. Um, the elements. The elements. The elements. Shit. Yeah. There we go. Um, and oh, I was going to say one more thing about that. Oh yeah, our church. We do a joint service on Christmas because uh, we can't use our building on Christmas Day. So I'm sure a lot of people, if if your church rents on Christmas, you may not be able to use your your building that day. So we do it with another church in our presbytery. And I know last year the sermon was not on the incarnation, but we did sing, I believe it was Joy to the World as a hymn that because it somehow connected to the sermon. Because, you know, pastors usually pick hymns. Right. Was that on a Sunday? 
It was on a Sunday. Yeah. Oh, it was on a okay. Because I think the other thing we should mention is I know our church actually does a Christmas Eve service as mm-hmm. long as it's not on a Sunday, but it is not. It's not like a worship service, mm-hmm. like our Lord's Day worship services. There is not. There's not a call to worship. There aren't sacraments. There, right. you know, and, and it's so, not a requirement. And it's not a requirement. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that is something that I know a lot of. We actually have done some various joint services with churches in the area. Sometimes they do a Thanksgiving service or a Christmas Eve service and stuff yeah. like that. So when we're talking about the church celebration, we're speaking specifically in regards to Lord's Day Sunday. corporate worship. Yeah. yeah. And so last year was an interesting year because Christmas did fall on Sunday. And it was, I mean, I think last year was really proof that we're living in a post-Christian society because of all the churches that closed the doors on Christmas. That I've forgotten about that. A lot of you remember it was just crazy. I have never seen that in my life. Like, you know, church, a church I grew up in, close their doors on Christmas and they just had Christmas Eve services on Saturday and people were saying things like, Oh, well go, go home and worship with your family, share the gospel with your neighbors. And I'm just like, Whoa, we are really missing it. Really missing what like that's, and that's, that's an example of taking a man made thing like Christmas and taking it way too far where it's completely about man. It's no longer even right. about anything to do with Jesus if you're canceling your church for Christmas. I know that's not even a topic we wanted to get into, right. but, but you know, it was just unbelievable to me. I think it's a it's actually a really important topic, Ashley, because I think what happened, I saw from a few churches, because some of those were floating around, these churches closing their doors. You know, we don't want to take away from your family time. Okay, now you have to ask yourself, what thing is more important, your your family time or the worship of God that he has commanded us to? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, I, I think that is important. That's something that our churches are still going to have, you know, Lord's Day worship on, mm-hmm. on Sundays, if it's, yeah. if Christmas is on Sunday. Yeah, I, I had a couple people ask, is your church open on Christmas? And I was saying, just another Lord's Day. Yeah, you know, just another Lord's Day. Of course, we're open. Like, unless there's a natural disaster, our church is open on Sunday. Right. You know, there's there's no yeah. reason. We actually had it in a movie theater because that was where we could find space, and it smelled like popcorn. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, my pastor just preached in the movie theater. So yeah. So it, one thing we really want to do now is kind of distinguish. Oh, hold on, what, sweetie? One, one that we want to distinguish between the religious observance and private observance. And I actually have a great article by G.I. Williamson that was on the OPC website. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really great article. I'm not going to read it, but he, he is against the, the celebration of Christmas, especially church. But he, he ends it and says, and now let me add one important caveat. I do not think that the strictest reformer ever questioned the right of an individual to celebrate the birth of Christ at a time and in a godly manner of his own choosing. I certainly do not question this right. If you want to exchange gifts or read Luke 2 or sing Silent Night on December 25th, then I have no quarrel with you at all. Hmm. And so, and I thought that was so interesting from somebody who has chosen no celebration whatsoever that he he has said, but I will respect your private celebrations. Yeah, and I I think that's a good way to distinguish between what the church is doing and what you're doing in your own home and with your own family. Right. So, you know, we we have we'll get into some traditions and stuff later. But you know, our family has things that we've always done. My husband and I did go through a period of questioning and when our kids were very little and reading a lot of stuff and some of these, another article that I have on here, great article from that I'm going to be linking from a Presbyterian pastor. And he talks very strongly against celebrating it in church, but then he does talk 
about the liberty of celebrating it privately. So um, definitely check out the resources if this is something that that you are are interested. And I wrote another quote from that article. Um, we must make a careful distinction between the religious observance of Christmas as a holy day and the observance of Christmas as our fam- in our families and homes. And I think that's what we see in the Catholic Church, where Christmas has become an extra holy day, yeah. where Easter has become an extra holy day. Yeah. Even though that's usually on the Lord, that's on the Lord's day. But or yeah. good, they have other um, good Fridays. Good Friday. Yeah. And this is the thing that we believe to not be biblical to create an extra holy day. Yep, I think you explained that really well. That I did read that G.I. Williamson article. That was very good. Yeah, so, I, and so I, if, I appreciated it. Yeah, so if you're someone, so that's that would be someone who falls into um, the category that I think you and I fall into, which is we don't think the church should have a church service, but we do celebrate it with our families. And so we do see that as a Christian liberty that if you want to have your own private celebration with your family, that's totally acceptable. And we don't see it as a violation of the regular principle. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. And the other thing I want to say, because I know that there are strong views on both sides of the, should we celebrate? Shouldn't we celebrate? But I want to say to those of you who do celebrate right now, that I think we equally need to be respectful of our brothers and sisters that that have chosen not to celebrate it at all. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, though I might disagree with them a little bit on the application of the regular principle, I respect that they're willing to take their conviction that seriously because I think Christmas is a very hard thing to give up if you've been raised celebrating it. Um, So I really respect the seriousness to which they take the worship of God. And I, and I think everyone should. So Please don't antagonize them. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, even if you well, disagree. One thing I see sometimes on social media, and I think this happens quite a bit, is I think when someone hears that somebody has a different view, it's easy to become defensive. So mm-hmm. let's just say somebody says, well, I don't believe in celebrating Christmas. And the other person says, well, I think you should. It's very e- easy for either side to see that as a judgment upon them having mm-hmm. a different view. And I think sometimes that's just a misunderstanding because I think a lot of people are respectful of the views on things like this that others yes have yeah and so someone can take a view that's more strict than yours that doesn't mean they're judging you and you need to be defensive I think is what you're saying right exactly so should we should we get into the origins of Christian of Christmas and common objections yeah I would you know that there's a. I actually did not even put a lot about the origins because there's so much out there that you can read. But a lot of people, and someone even asked me if we were going to respond to this. A lot of people say, "But but Christmas has pagan roots." Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I definitely heard that. I usually hear that from non-Christian folks that are kind of like really? that are kind of yeah they're kind of like laughing at Christians like ha. You guys think you're celebrating a holiday that's uh, Christian, but did you know it's actually pagan? Yeah, that's I've heard it in a someone who's trying to put down Christians. That's not the context you've heard it. No, I actually I've heard it from people. I I know people that they are not reformed, but I know Christians who don't celebrate Christmas based on that argument. Hmm, that's interesting. So I, I've seen it in uh, in some of our homeschool groups. I thought this was interesting, and I'm linking this article. But he he talks about that. This pastor talks about that accusation, and he actually points to First Corinthians ten twenty three thirty three. He talks about how the issue in Corinth wasn't whether or not Christians could eat meat that had been dedicated to an idol in a pagan worship service. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. The it, the issue was whether or not pagans or that Christians could eat meat that had been dedicated to an idol in a pagan worship service. And he said su- such meat was usually sold in the meat markets the next day or discounted. And so he actually talks about that. And, and he said Paul's reasoning, and of course in there, you know, Christians are 
and you can also look at Romans 14, Christians have liberty to eat that meat. And he says, Paul's reasoning is clear. Everything belongs to God. And I think the other thing is, too, there's so many different things in our world that can be part of our lives that we could look and say, but that has pagan roots. Or, I mean, I even think about how, um, I even think of, and this might not seem like the same thing, but I see it as similar. There is this Christian newspaper in Southern California, and they put out this thing, every company that has some connection to supporting ungodly organizations, okay? This was like a huge exhaustive list. I looked at the list and I said, so pretty much I can never eat again. You know, oh, you like like you can't go to Starbucks because they do this. You can't, that kind of thing. Right. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The list was exhaustive and I was like, wow. I mean, it was like craft and um, just any, just all kinds of things, any, all kinds of companies that you can think of. And I think some, I think we have, we can actually come back and say that everything does, does belong to God. E- even if there are some pagan roots in, in some of this stuff, I, I don't think that anyone that's Christian is celebrating Christmas based on, on those reasons. Right. And there's another really good quote from, from that article that you, you put here that the Christian path in a given situation is not determined by choosing the opposite of what the wicked are doing. We live by scripture. We may eat the same meat that the wicked dedicate to idols. We, however, dedicate it to its rightful Lord, the living God of heaven and earth. I believe Christmas with its attendant gift-giving, feasting, and fun times is a similar issue. I, th- I thought that was really great, that that quote right there that that you just read. Mm-hmm. So if someone, and if you've got to think, there's a lot of people that celebrate Christmas with absolutely no Christian intention and they're gift giving and it's just a family thing or whatever, you know, they, they can do that. And when we do it, we give gifts, you know, out of gratefulness and we just, the way we do things is just so different, you know, our hearts are different. And, and so, but it's, it's not like we can't do it because the culture has become, you know, Christmas has become so unchristianized and things like that's not even a word. Christianized, but I made it up right now, you know, like, because I see a lot of complaints like that among Christians where like when I was growing up, people had stickers, bumper stickers on their car that said like, put the Christ back in Christmas. Um, And there's like a war on Christmas. And, you know, I think it's like, I don't really see the need for that. Like, we we can just celebrate it, you know, out of our Christian hearts. Um, we don't need to like have bumper stickers and boycott Starbucks and things like that because we feel like they're not, you know, celebrating right. the Christian Christmas. Yeah, that that's that's another good point. You you bring up really this kind of gets us into another objection that some Christians have is and that is that Christmas promotes material materialism. Mm, right. Well, I, I mean, obviously, like if you watch the, the ads, they're already on my TV. Um, but it also is like how you s- celebrate it with your family. I mean, right. wouldn't you say as a parent, Colleen, like you had to make a decision that it wasn't yeah. going to be just this material holiday where you're giving everybody, you know, 30 gifts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, and that's and my husband. It. My husband grew up with Christmas very different than I did, and I did not get tons and tons of gifts. He did. And when I grew up, my dad had converted from Orthodox Judaism, so we celebrated Hanukkah when I was growing up, too, which was always kind of fun. Even though it's eight nights and you get a gift each night, of those eight nights, we'd only get one large gift, and then Mm -hmm. we might get some coins one night or um, some chocolate one night or these sorts of things. But what we did with, with our kids is, generally speaking, we, we get them one semi-big gift and two small gifts. And mm-hmm. we, we always budget a certain amount. It's not, an, you know, it's not a huge, huge amount. I mean, this year for Christmas, because I'll assume my kids aren't 
going to listen to the podcast, we're getting them each new beds. And so nice. one thing we, we try to do is, is get them things that they need. What I don't, don't want to do is give them like way more than they, than they need. But we also try to get them, you know, something that is, is a special treat, you know, that maybe something that they've been wanting or something fun. You know, we've done things like we got my son, Benjamin, um, tickets to go see the Chicago Blackhawks because he loves Mm -hmm. hockey. And so we try, try to do something that would be special and then maybe, something that would be fun. I try not to get socks and underwear for them. My, yeah. my mother-in-law used to always get that for my husband. So I don't do that, but I think that you can, I think the other thing is trying to find ways to encourage your children to have more of an attitude of giving than receiving things that we have done is buy gifts for, you know, for needy kids. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of organizations out there. You, that you can buy gifts for military families or um, the children of, of prisoners or, you know, different things like that. And so one thing that we did, especially when they were young was have them, you know, pick somebody around their age and go to the store with us and pick out something that they, you know, think someone their age would like. And, Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes those, when you sign up for those, like we have, it'll give you gift ideas and stuff too. But, you yeah. know, f- finding ways to emphasize giving and not making the gifts the number one aspect of Christmas mm-hmm. is, yes. is what I would say. Yes. I mean, our whole country promotes materialism. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to just, if you want to just say it like it is, our whole country promotes materialism and it's something that we we fight constantly so Mm -hmm. okay so another one and this is one that you had brought up to me when we had talked ashley and christmas is catholic i mean it means the christ mass Mm -hmm. so should we really have anything to do with anything that's catholic and i do want to say that was my when i first started looking to christmas that was my first kind of objection you know anything catholic i don't want anything to do with it you know Right. So, yeah, that was my first, uh, you know, that's not really where I fall now, but that was my first objection. So, so what changed your mind? The, the regular principle. Oh, I that's interesting. Just, yeah. just, just seeing it more from that perspective. Because um, the people who say it's Catholic, I'm guessing they don't celebrate it at all. Would you say? Yeah. Yeah, they would say it's it's Catholic. It means Christ Mass, and and one thing this pastor says from the article I've link I'm linking is there's a lot of things that you could say. Well, the Trinity is Catholic, or yeah. this is Catholic. There, that is there Catholic. are good things. <laughs> there, there are good things that are Catholic yeah. too. But again, I actually think that this goes back to when we we're talking about the pagan roots. Is we are not. When, when we're celebrating Christmas, we are not celebrating the Christ mass, you know, that that's simply not what we're doing yeah. when we celebrate it. Yeah. And, and so if we've already said, we don't think this should be a church um, worship service. And so we're actually already kind of denying the Catholic part of it as being the Christ mass right. or, you know, and having, having that, this extra holy day. Do they have it? Do they know? call it high mass? Is that what they call it? Um, I do not know. I do not I actually do, do not know much about Catholicism. Maybe need to brush up, but I think they call it like high mass. Like it's like a really important mass. Um, you yeah. know, that's, I think that's what they call it. Someone Catholic or someone with Catholic roots can write us and tell us. Um, but, and so we're already kind of denying that aspect of it uh, by, you know, not, um, not celebrating it with a, a big important worship service. That's not on the Lord's day. Right. Cause Catholics will go. I have a lot, not, I don't have a lot of Catholic friends, but the Catholic friends that I know, a lot of them will go to that midnight mass, mm. you know, that yeah. Christmas midnight mass. And, you know, yeah. that's like that for a lot of Catholics, it, that's an important aspect of Christmas is the mass. Mm-hmm. We were, it was funny last year when we were, um, walking into the movie theater for our Christmas service, which was so funny. Um, There was a lady getting out of her car, an older woman. And she said, I heard there was mass here. And we were like, 
uh, there's no mass, but there's church. Do you want to come in with us? You know, and uh-huh. she ended up kind of shaking her head like, no, I want to go to mass, you know. Um, and we were like, bummer, you know, <laughs> I was hoping she'd come in with us. But uh, I think also for a lot of Catholics that, I mean, for a lot of nominal Catholics, that's one of the only times throughout the year that they actually go to mass. Yeah. Um, that at least a lot of, a lot of the Catholics I know that they're, that are just really Catholic, you know, culturally, right. they're, they're not serious about their Catholicism, um, which actually is true for a lot of evangelical churches yeah. as well. They're very full on Christmas and Easter. I believe Jean calls them priesters because they only come on <laughs> Christmas and Easter. Easter. <laughs> so, well, uh, I think, I think I know that Ashley and I have not been able to go in great detail about this, but look at the articles, which is going to spend more time arguing what we are are trying to argue. But I wanted to bring up, because this is another question that comes in the group, and that is Santa Claus. Yes. So if we're doing it privately, should is it all right for us to, to tell our ki- kids that there's someone uh, named Santa in the North Pole that comes down the chimney on Christmas Eve and... So I personally think we shouldn't lie to our kids. Yes. I think, and we've talked about this, telling telling your kids about Santa and St. Nicholas and things like that and telling them kind of like fairy tales and, well, I guess St. Nicholas is real. So, um, but telling them just, oh, there's this, this character that people made up and it's fun, you know, like just... You know, some people believe that he's real, but he's not. I think that's fine. What do you think? Right. Well, I, you know, I taught my children that Santa Claus is, you know, no different than Winnie the Pooh or, you know, some of these other characters that they like to watch. And and we enjoyed watching. It's just a a fun make-believe story. I. I think I don't think many of our listeners are telling their children that Santa Claus exists. Um, mm-hmm. Just judging from the many conversations in our group about this, I think more often than not, the problem that a lot of young parents are running into is family being upset with them for not telling their children that Santa Claus is real. And that's something that we faced because my, my mother-in-law was very, very big into Santa Claus being real. Mm. And, and I think I told this previously a couple of weeks ago that, you know, my husband, when he found out Santa wasn't real, found out the Easter bunny wasn't real. He really thought that that may have been the case about Jesus too. Mm. And, you know, my kids have actually said, you know, thanks for not lying to us about Santa Claus. So I think you can have fun with Santa Claus without, you know, making it lying to your children. You know, I, we love watching some of the old Christmas movies and my kids liked Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and, and things like that. So it's just a fun story. I think the Mm -hmm. hardest thing is trying to explain is your kids getting in trouble. Um, I was, I was at the kids homeschool co-op and this little girl, I was sitting at, with my son, who's, I think, in about second grade, and one of the girls from his class was sitting there, and she was telling me all about how she asked Santa for a puppy for Christmas, but her parents said that on gifts like that, that Santa has to actually check with the parents first to see if it's okay. Hmm, and she's this very elaborate, elaborate story. And my son is like about to speak up and I'm like hitting him going, you know what? It's not your job <laughs> to, tell, yeah. to tell her. Um, of course, that's that's the same son that announced at homeschool co-op. You know who the tooth fairy is, don't you? It's your mom. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So, and but I, I would just say I don't I don't think it's a good idea to lie to your kids about something. I think you can have I think you can have fun and enjoy some of the traditions without yeah. lying to your kids. Yeah. And you know what? I have to say my parents did tell me Santa was real when I found out it wasn't traumatic. Like I I don't know what right. I found. And out. I don't think it is for most people. Yeah, so it wasn't traumatic. You should so probably say that. Yeah. yeah. 
And I don't look back. I'm not angry at my yeah. parents. Um, I just don't plan on doing that with my own. So Yeah. Well, I thought we could talk just a little bit about just creating family traditions. I remember, you know, you're newly married. I, I've been married and have kids for a while. And I remember my husband and I, when we got married, kind of taking traditions from both of our families and bring it together to create our own traditions. And I think traditions are fun. You can do traditions, not just with Christmas. If you don't celebrate Christmas, you can have other things, you know, you can have special things you do at birthdays or maybe something you do special in the spring. You know, there's lots of things that you can do, but if you are going to celebrate Christmas, I'll just share my husband his his family was Norwegian, and so they celebrated the Norwegian traditions. My mom's family is Swedish, and even though my dad was a convert from Orthodox Judaism, so he didn't have any Christmas traditions, so we did my mom. So we were able to combine kind of our two Scandinavian traditions. So we actually opened gifts on Christmas Eve, and... I first wanted to know how my husband's mom, how did Santa Claus come on Christmas Eve? But apparently Santa Claus came when they were at Christmas Eve church service. Oh, okay. Yeah. In case you didn't know. So, um, but we've just done a lot, a lot of different things. Um, On Christmas Eve, we always have a big Swedish smorgasbord. So what, but what we do is we tie in some of the Norwegian food. So there's a stuff called lefsa which is a, it looks like a tortilla. It doesn't taste anything like it. And it's a Norwegian potato bread. So I actually put Swedish meatballs inside the Norwegian lefse. And Hmm. we do, we do not for anyone that is aware of lutefisk or lutefisk is the Norwegian pronunciation. We do not, my mom used to make it. It's a horrible fish that's soaked in lye and it is awful. Hmm. And it smells. And so my mom used to make it, but I don't let her bring it to my house. So, you know, it's it's fun to have different traditions with your kids or even if it's just you and your husband now, you can have some some fun things that yeah. that you can do. Yeah, we we do. Um, my in-laws make a big thing of soup. There's a specific name for it, but now I can't think of it on Christmas Eve. And so we all go over on Christmas Eve to have this soup. It's really good. But my husband and I, this happened by accident, our first Christmas after we were married. Uh, We'd been married six months, and I gave him the full Star Wars set because it came out that year in, like, HD or whatever, where you can buy all six as a set. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, he opens it and was like, let's watch Empire Strikes Back, his favorite one and so we started watching Empire Strikes Back and then I love making crepes because I went to France when I was younger um, and just kind of fell in love with French culture in general and so I usually make crepes um, crepes on Christmas morning and we watch Empire Strikes Back while we open presents so we haven't built a lot uh, you know our little family of two yeah Uh, but for now I really I really enjoy that and I love crepes. Um, yeah. So, well, crepes are very similar to Swedish pancakes. Yes, I mean, it's, it's yeah. pretty much the same thing. So that's we do make those a mm-hmm. lot of times on Christmas morning. Um, very we easy have, to make. Our traditions have even changed a little bit because my we lived here without my parents or Brent's parents here for so long, and you know we sometimes we would go visit them. They would come visit us, but my parents moved here. 10 years ago. And so now we have this tradition where it's Christmas Eve at our house because we open presents at our house. And so mm-hmm. usually more presents at our house. And then we do Christmas brunch as long as it's not Sunday at my parents' house. And yes. Oh, I love brunch. Brunch is my favorite meal, hands down. And but, I, I only get to have brunch like once in a while, but it is just the best. Yeah, it, it is. And my mom, my mom does a lot of, a lot of great foods and we contribute some stuff and Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's fun and may either I would say to young since we have a lot of young families, you know, you can you can take some of the traditions that you grew up with, that your husband grew up with, maybe bring them into your own home, but you can also start your own traditions like with what Ashley was saying, <laughs> you know, watching Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. And and I I love it's, those kinds of traditions that kind of, you know, that kind of happen and you keep yeah. doing them. And I think over the years, you just kind of develop more and more. 
you know, things just get added where yeah. something happens one year and you say, oh, we should do this every year, you know, that kind of thing. Like, oh, that was really fun. And so. Yeah. And we, and ours even changed, like as the kids got older, you know, where maybe what movies that we might watch and what mm-hmm. we also, uh, this is actually something I, well, making lefsa is actually a new thing for us because my mother-in-law used to set, have a case of lefsa sent to us and it's expensive, expensive if you have it sent to you because it's time consuming to make. And my son wanted to make it. He said, I want to try to make it. So we got all the different things to make it. And so now we do that. And then, you know, we also love making cookies and fudge. And, and so I think it's a, I think it's a lot of fun developing those traditions. And for those who don't celebrate, I've, I've learned that a lot of times people who don't celebrate, maybe have something that they do instead. You know, I've learned that with, um, with Halloween too, that people said, you know, we don't celebrate Halloween, but what we do is we watch the Luther keep the house dark so people don't ring our doorbell and we watch the Luther movie on Halloween or, mm-hmm. you know, have something else that they do. So, um, Colleen, give me one second. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, my pants don't really button anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have a bump yet, but it's like a little, little bump enough where it's pushing on my pants a little bit. Yeah, it starts to get a little a little bit more. With my first baby, um, I didn't really have to wear maternity clothes until I was like five, five, five and a half months. But the great thing now is there's so many um, – leggings and yeah. tunics in style, which mm-hmm. I would have loved that when I was, you know, pregnant. So, and those are great for when you're pregnant and then, and then after you have the baby too. Yeah. Yeah. You still need a little room. Okay. So I think we kind of wrapped up that. Should yeah. we do our, yeah, about that? Yeah. Well, I'll go ahead and say just one more thing. So for, for those of you who are, I'm, I have a lot of different information. We were only able to get just to a small amount of the information from the resources that we have. And if you are studying this, check out the resources because there's some really great stuff. And a lot of the articles are actually written by pastors. And they're going to offer a lot of the arguments we talked about in more detail and, and look at different passages of scripture and the confessions. So definitely check out the resources. So we're going to go. One one thing I wanted to add too, uh, now that I'm thinking about it is I know there's some people who are probably still a little confused by the regulative principle. We are going to do an episode on it. I just want to say for myself personally, when I first heard about the regulative principle, I said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And then now I'm to the point where I'm like, I have to be in a church that, you know, applies the regular principle. So it's become just super, super important to me and my husband and our worship. And, and so, um, I guess stay tuned for our regular principle, uh, episode that we are going to do. If you're still a little confused about why we take that as seriously as we do. Yeah. And I will even say that my husband and I attended Presbyterian churches. We're members of Presbyterian churches for seven years before we were even Pado Baptist because they held because they held to the regulative principle. Mm-hmm. And I I think a lot of reformed Baptist churches do too, but at that point there were some Calvinistic Baptist churches, but not confessional Reformed Baptists. So yeah. so I have been trying to, when I see some of this bad theology, I mean, you, you go online, you're going to see some bad theology every once in a while. And so I've been trying to keep them because sometimes I'll think that would be great for our segment, but I, I forget to mm-hmm. screenshot it. But I, I did remember this week to screenshot it. So we'll see what you think about this, Ashley. You, okay. you are the 67th book of the Bible. You are a living epistle. Yep. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on there. Um wow, that 
makes me feel so important. Don't you feel really important after hearing that? Yeah, no, I feel That's, really bothered. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. No. I know, I know. I, I know what you were saying. It's like so important that I'm I'm that important. Yeah, I'm the 67th. Yeah. But then if I'm the 67th, are you the 67th too or are you the 68th? Mm, yeah, as a math person, I'm a little bothered because we can't all be the 67th. That's right. We if can't. we're an actual epistle. Yeah, and, and really, in, in all seriousness, the reason why this is so problematic is, first of all, the sixty-six books of the Bible are God's word, mm-hmm. and they are perfect. There, the, God's word is infallible. Yeah. I am not perfect. Yeah, and um, in Christ, I am, but yeah. Um, well, because I think a lot of people today will say, like, I had a message from God, God told me that kind of thing, as if as if what they're saying is on the same level of, like, like God literally said this, like, in Scripture. And so I think if you apply that theology, like, I could literally be, like, God told me this. God told me to do this horrible thing, or God told me this. Like, I've heard people say, like, God told me to divorce my wife, or things like this, where you're like, okay, God would never tell you to do that, you know? Um, But even just, you know, less, less serious things. Um, Like God told me to find someone in a grocery store with a yellow shirt. I literally did hear this story recently. God told me to find someone in a grocery store with the yellow shirt and to pray for them. I can't remember what it was, but it was something specific about them. And so this person went to grocery stores looking for someone in a yellow shirt to, to pray for them because they they said God told them to do that and they sincerely believed that that's what God said. So that's scary, you know. It's really scary stuff. Yeah, and and this actually did. I mean, this did come from someone who has some pretty disturbing theology and a lot of word of faith and mm-hmm. some of these different things. I think often those theologies. I, I've noticed that with some of the hyper charismatic where they really do elevate humans, mm-hmm. okay? uh, ha- humans have a, a lot more importance and power in theirs because you can actually have enough faith to make God do things. That, right. That's how important you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it really is that same sort of thing where it really does. I think it lessens the magnitude of sin yeah. And it puts us on a pedestal that we do not belong on. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and I think it's just forgetting, too, that God doesn't operate that way. The canon is closed and right. he's, he's already revealed to us, you know, what, what we need to know. And I've heard someone say, if you want to hear God speak, open your Bible. Can't think of who said that right now. Well, um, I know Justin Peter says something like, if, okay. if you want to hear God speak, open your Bible. If you yeah. want to hear him speak out loud, read out loud, <laughs> read anything out like loud. that. Yeah, I love Justin Peter. So, yeah. Um, but that's something, I don't know, me as a kind of ignorant evangelical growing up, I would have totally bought that. <laughs> right. Line and I would have been like, oh, awesome. You know, like that sounds uh-huh. really cool. It does sound really cool, you know, like it just makes right. me, it makes me feel good. So it just and shows how deceptive it is. Um, yeah. You know? So, so often we hear these, these things and it might sound like it's okay, but the thing is, it is not, you know what, when in doubt, just quote scripture. Let's make sure that we're not just making up things about God that are not yeah. consistent with scripture. Yeah. Cause I think that's, basically what's happening. And I see it a lot out there on Twitter from some of these teachers where literally they're making things up. This mm-hmm. is not biblical stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so beware of, of bad doctrine. And there's sisters. a temptation on Twitter too, as there is on Facebook, Instagram, etc., to say something that's catchy enough to get enough retweets and likes, you know? So yeah. If, if you say something that people will like enough, they might retweet it a ton of times. And 
kind of boosts your own ego, you know? So I think as Christians, we need to watch our hearts anyways, when we're posting on social media, um, what are the, our intentions in posting, uh, you know, that kind of thing, because we could be doing it to, to boost our own ego, you know? Well, Even especially like when we're guys. like saying saying something like this that like I have a prof- I have a prophetic word of God to share, mm-hmm. you know, right. you you are the sixty eighth epistle. Which the point I'm making is like no reformed person would say that, right? Exactly. But a reformed person might say something very truthful in a way to try to garner likes and retweets as well. So it, yeah. I, I think we're just as prone to that kind of thing. Um, we just need to be careful. Well, I don't get very many likes or retweets, but yeah, me neither. That's okay. Hey, yeah. well, you did have that one time where you got all those bots that liked. Oh, like that was see so some people. Weird. It that was weird. literally in a fraction of a second, I got like sixty-five likes to my tweet, and I was like, "What just happened?" Because literally, it's I've never had more than like. And it wasn't even something that you probably would have thought of was going to garner a lot of. No, it was actually, I was responding to someone and I said something about a New Balance shoe. And I got 65 (laughs) likes in a fraction of a second. And so it it was freaky. I was like, there was a rip in the space-time continuum. I don't even know how that's even possible. Um, But it was just, I guess they're constantly searching keywords. Yeah companies and so because and they have computers that do it yeah so new balance i said something about new balance and i got 65 likes so so there you go if you want to get a bunch of likes and retweets just like post something about nike or you know there you go i'll probably do it make you feel good there (laughs) um i was creeped out i was like what just happened so yeah that was that i don't think i've ever gotten six 65 likes on anything on Twitter. Yeah. I have on Facebook, but not, not on you know, Twitter. When I post pictures of my dog, I do get some good likes there, but it, I'm not saying, yes, I've noticed I'm not that. saying anything intelligent. It's just a picture of my dog. So it's not really me. It's, it's Freya, but she's a pretty, so she's dog. really getting, yeah, she's getting the likes. Then. <laughs> yeah. So I give her extra pats and extra treats. When she gets lights. Oh, so like, oh, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. Well, as, as we mentioned last week, and I'm going to mention again, Ashley and I could really use your support for some things that we would like to do with the podcast. So if you have enjoyed our podcast, I'd ask you to consider supporting us even a few dollars a month. And Mm. we're going to be coming up with some things for our supporters. So stay tuned for that. Mm -hmm. And you can find click on Theology Gals on any episode and you'll see a link to our Patreon and also all of our contact information. If you would like to contact us with with any feedback or episode ideas, we're, we're always taking different episode ideas that our listeners would like us to talk about. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week.